0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: There are certain days you just realize that Adrian Warjanowski is basically Santa Claus. Today is one of them because the Woj jo- bombs are dropping faster than we can keep track of them. Free agency has opened in the NBA, the question is, what's it mean? It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, SiriusXM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitzpour, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests will join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah, let's start with some Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contracts, no compromise. I am left to wonder, there are so many dominoes that have fallen already. For example, Kyle Lowry, as we just heard in the Sports Center update, has agreed to a three year deal for about 90 million bucks with the Miami Heat as part of a signing trade. There's all sorts of action happening right now. But a couple of days ago, we were together, and you were feeling sad about the Cubs. Today, the Bulls are now the proud team of Lonzo Balls. So now that we have Balls, Balls, are you happy?
2: You mean the Chicago Bulls? Um, well, I'll tell you one thing. I'm a lot happier than if you had proposed to me a ball coming to Chicago back when I was still having to hear from Papa Ball so often. I'm glad that he has <laughs> sunk back and, and established himself as a supporter from off screen instead of on. Uh, And by the way, ESPN was as guilty as anyone on the amount of media time that he got. So I'm not uh, not acting like we were immune in that one. Um, You know, Lonzo Ball is an interesting, interesting pickup. Four years, 85 million sign and trade agreement. There's a lot of conversation about the Bulls also looking to add DeMar DeRozan in a sign and trade should be pretty exciting. They have a superstar in Levine that wants money and wants to be surrounded by enough talent to do something. The Bulls have missed four straight postseasons. In the league where it is the easiest to make the playoffs. So they needed to make a move now. They picked up Vucevic last year, so they had these two all-stars, and it didn't do much in the second half. So now they start a full season with the acquisitions that they made. And you know, Lonzo at one point was was not as thrilling of an NBA player, professional player, but uh as at StatMuse pointed out, last season he made more threes than Trey Young, Paul George, Bradley Beale, Chris Middleton, Devin Booker, Seth Curry, LeBron James was averaging 14.6 points on 41, 38, and 78% uh, splits, which were all career highs. So a guy who's on the up and up, and I think will be really interesting to see how he plays uh, with the Bulls team that finally feels like they're actually going for something. Uh, Just hours ago today, I was was arguing that they were in a rebuild because of that playoff drought. And I, I can't say otherwise until they actually are not even contenders, but in the postseason at all. But certainly these moves, a new head coach in front office from last year, make it feel like there's a little bit more excitement around that team, and it's been a pretty disappointing team for as long as, you know, since since the Derrick Rose injury.
1: Spain and there, Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. And, and look, I think at some point, this is the toughest thing we have to do with all players in all sports. At some point, we have to forget where they were drafted and just accept who they are right now in the league. And... For me, I think there was so much hype around Lonzo when he came into the league and there was so much about the Lakers situation and where he was drafted. At some point, you've got to sort of separate from all of that and say, okay, no matter how he got into the league, who is he today? And uh, it's a big statement to who he is. Now, obviously, a a big statement made in general by Miami, as we referenced earlier. Again, Kyle Lowry has signed a mega deal. I love the fact that these deals, these complicated NBA deals get done in mere seconds after the tampering window. Uh, obviously, nobody was tampering. But also, great line, yeah.
2: great line uh, about the Bulls and Lonzo because that hit literally within the first minute. Bulls and Lonzo really hit it off during the 180 seconds they got to know each other and quickly agreed <laughs> to a deal. Uh, you know, pretty good stuff from John Hollinger.
1: Well, Kyle Lowry, you know, used his Instagram to tell all of us that uh, he's a part of the Miami Heat. Uh, but also of no, Duncan Robinson uh, got a five-year, $90 million contract to stay with Miami. That's the largest deal ever for an undrafted player. So, uh, Miami, How about Jimmy Butler? Uh, How about yeah. Jimmy
2: Butler? Max contract expected to be four years, more than $184 million. So mm. this is the Heat saying we're all in again. Not just we're going to get better. But we are going out and spending and we see our window as right now.
1: And I wonder how much what we saw this season sort of impacted the way everybody's approaching the offseason. And I don't mean in the sense of non-traditional, like I don't think a lot of people expected Uh, that Brooklyn and the Lakers would miss the the finals. I I get that. But I do think there's a moment of maybe you see that things are a little more, those teams are a little more human than we thought coming into it. So all of a sudden, if you're a team like Miami that feels like you do have some of the necessary pieces, you're a little more aggressive because when Brooklyn was together, it was rare, but it it wasn't, there's nothing we could take from Brooklyn this year that says, hey, they're going to dominate for the next five years. So I wonder how many teams are aggressive because they saw that the window could be more open than they expected it it, it feels like we've seen some big spending today
2: absolutely some big spending um and you know i I think you're right i think more so than in previous years where it was it's going to be warriors calves or or something like that it does feel like there's there's more parity across the league now the Nets, healthy, are dangerous. Of course, the Lakers, yes. which we'll get to later, the Lakers and their very strange contract situation. But whether or not they find enough minimum players to, t- to pair up with, they still have a big three. Uh, very differing opinions on exactly how that chemistry and fit are going to work. But yeah, there are still some powerhouses. Don't forget the Bucks, the reigning champions, right? right. Um, Chris Paul agrees to a deal he's taken around. With the Suns, we kind of knew that was what was happening when he didn't immediately resign. It was just a renegotiating and moving some pieces around. Um, so, you know, there's a there's a lot of strong teams, but I think you're right that over the last two seasons, there's been some surprises, and that gives a lot of teams some hope and some and some desire to, to get after it. And I think also, you know, anybody who's close with Pat Riley and our former colleague um, Dan Levitard certainly is, when he talks about him on his show and he talks about his, his look at the future – he, he knows he's getting older and he knows that he only has so much longer to be running that team and wants to win real bad. And so uh, that that Heat culture that they always talk about um, involves being able to get top players who want to play there, like Lowry now, and being willing to go all in when you think you've got something. And so uh, I'd be pretty excited if I was a Heat fan.
1: Yeah, the Heat culture, a little opposite from what you know. Aaron Rodgers said about Green Bay. People want right. to go play in Miami. But, right. but you do mention, and I think it's significant here, because uh, for anyone that hasn't seen, Kyle Lowry is now a Miami Heat. Uh, also, Chris Paul, to your point, Uh, is staying in Phoenix. I don't think that's a big surprise to a lot of people as he signs a four-year deal that could pay him uh, upwards of $120 million. What is of interest in all of that, though, and something to keep an eye on, is if you look at the ESPN.com article sort of tracking free agency, they mention Chris Paul, Kawhi Leonard, Kyle Lowry, and DeMar DeRozan are the head of the free agent class. Two of those players... Old as hell. uh, Yeah, I know that.
2: (laughs) Old (laughs) people can dream, too, as Diana Taurasi says. You can can dream of being rich as hell, even when year old.
1: Well, and, and two of those four are already off the board, and the Knicks who, you know, uh, this, and we all look at New York Say they got 50 million bucks to spend. They better be keeping a close eye on all this, because there aren't that many. This isn't like last summer, where we had, you know, LeBron and Giannis and Paul George and True. Like, there were so many last year. That isn't the case this year, so I wonder how aggressive uh, the Knicks will be through the course of this, because right. so far, we're very early in this process, but we are late enough in this process to have already seen two of the top four names Uh, No longer there. That's some straight talk. And Fitz, go Go ahead. ahead. I was just straight talk. Wireless, no contracts, no compromise. What you got, sir?
2: Uh, We forgot the straight talk that Trey Young and the Hawks are expected to finalize a five-year extension. Hundred and seventy million that could be pushed to two hundred and one point five million with a supermax trigger. Go so if we're gonna talk bag. about people Woo! going to the bank today, we got to make sure we notice that Trey Young's first in line. Uh,
1: I, you know, I can't imagine what, what the moments like when your agent calls you and says, "I think we got him. It's going to be about $200 million. I, I mean, well, just... I'll tell
2: you, Fitz, it's a nice moment. Well... And you know, <laughs> I started by calling just friends and family, the people that helped me get. He, oh, okay. Oh yeah, yeah. I get. You were talking about NBA players. I yeah, just. Yeah. I remember. I remember my two hundred million dollar day. <sighs> it was. There's uh... I, I, nice nice dinner. I have more memories of, of
1: being afraid to go to the ATM because it's going to show me the balance, and I'm not prepared to handle that emotionally. That's real. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Uh, a lot of NBA talk. We will keep you updated as free agency has just opened in the last hour and 11 minutes. As we get big news, you will hear it right away. But in the meantime, we did get big news about the quarterback situation for Indianapolis, and that's not the only questionable quarterback situation we're seeing from a playoff-caliber team. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM. Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're brought to you by My Computer Career Training for a Better Life. All of our guests are going to join us today on the Goodyear Hotline. And uh, we will keep you updated on the breaking free agency news as it continues. NBA free agency opened at 6 p.m. Eastern. So as we get new deals that you need to know about, we will make sure that you are kept up to date In all of them, on all of them, especially the ones of great significance, uh, we will do that. But in the meantime, there's some NFL news that uh, all eyes have been on throughout the course of the day. It involves Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz obviously was traded from the Eagles uh, to uh, the Colts with the hope, Sarah, that he would be the last piece on a Super Bowl caliber roster that would get them to where they need to be. Unfortunately, and this seems to be a common thread in his career, Carson's injured, and so we knew that it was a, a foot injury. You and I talked last week about how it felt interesting from the get-go that the reports were they don't expect it to be season-ending. Well, we now know what they do, uh, what they do uh, see with the foot, and the foot is not a great situation for them, as it looks like he's had he's having surgery. He will be out uh, up to twelve weeks. Now the surgery was performed this afternoon. We'll get a little bit more of a. Uh, expectation after the surgery after they post some news on it but five to 12 weeks is the time frame they're looking at which obviously sir at this point could impact the early portion of the regular season on a super bowl caliber roster this is sort of the worst case scenario
2: it's a terrible scenario for the colts it's a terrible scenario for the eagles right Whose uh right. whose pick that they get in exchange for him uh, matters uh, entirely upon how much of the season he plays and um, unless this is a much more minor surgery than it sounds like, it's almost assuredly gonna gonna be bad scenario for the Eagles. Um, I just feel bad for him, Fitz, and you know I have felt bad for him since the very first time he got injured. I think there's a lot of criticism of Wentz, and there's a lot of conversation on on the outside with very little full. Full reported information about the supposed confidence issues and ego problems and everything else that that supposedly derailed him in Philly. That's not to say that they don't exist. There's enough smoke for there to be fire. But I I remember doing a parting shot on how we just don't really see player struggles like that with an empathetic eye at all. We, We end up just criticizing for not being tough enough instead of trying to understand and get to get to the bottom of them. And this is a perfect example of. You know, this is a guy who how can you expect him to have a great deal of confidence when all of his all of his efforts get derailed by injuries? And I would presume it's not up to him unless you show me videos of him, you know, uh, trying to be an Olympic BMX rider or, you know, only eating candy all day and not hydrating or something that might contribute to as many injuries. Then, then he's just cursed. He's unlucky. And that's uh, that's something that's difficult to swallow for a guy who at times has been so talented. It's it's I feel bad for him.
1: And, and to that end, a couple of the guys that cover the team said afterwards that the I think the most damning part of the injury for so many people around the organization is that it didn't come from anything specific. He was just rolling out through the football mm-hmm. and felt a twinge in his foot. Now, it raises a question of what to do next. And there's a lot of names that have been bantered around as somebody that the Colts might want to look at. If there is a long-term issue here, and one of those names is Nick Foles. Jeff Saturday, ESPN NFL analyst, was on Keyshawn J. Will and Subin this morning talking about what that would do specifically to Carson.
0: The last thing you want if you're Carson Wentz is Nick Foles anywhere around this conversation. This thing, I mean, it it could totally crush him. I mean, he's, I don't care what anybody says, the last guy Carson Wentz wants walking, (laughs) I don't care if he's a friend or not, the last guy you want walking that building is Nick Foles, man. You've seen what this dude, winning the Super Bowl, coming in and replacing you again. Ain't nobody in Indy, you know, wanting Nick Foles to come in and replace Carson Wentz again. My gosh, man, like. He can't get away from it.
1: Well, and Sarah, I totally had that same logic, but you've opened my eyes, my friend.
2: (laughs) Yeah, listen, I'm not saying it's not possible that that's true, but we have zero evidence, at least I've never seen any, that Carson Wentz and Nick Foles don't get along, that Carson Wentz wouldn't want him to be there. I think because of, again, so many of the storytelling that we do, so much of the storytelling we do about Carson Wentz is based on a lot of the talking heads around the sports world, you know, bantering about his psyche. If you were Carson once, and you were on a contending Super Bowl potential winning team and you got hurt, wouldn't you want your backup to come in and play well enough that you won the Super Bowl, even if you don't get that shine? Because then you getting hurt wasn't the reason that your team and your fan base missed out on that opportunity. So especially knowing what we know about Nick Foles and how he's talked about as a backup, as a good locker room guy, as a good QB room guy, I would think that because of that relationship with Frank Reich, because of Carson having a relationship with Frank Reich, he would feel comfortable having him come back in. And we know that Nick Foles is comfortable stepping up when asked and stepping back when Wentz is healthy. Never has he stolen a job from Wentz when Wentz was healthy enough to play. So I'm not saying Jeff Saturday is wrong. We don't know that. I just think we're all going to rush to that because we've all prescribed and projected onto Carson Wentz and Nick Foles this very dramatic relationship that i don't think i've seen any evidence exists
1: yeah i think you're right and you know it's like the telephone game where you know, it starts out one way and ends up something totally different i i really right. i i feel like i've heard it and felt it so much that it must be true so i took some time and tried to find anything that supports it and you're right there is no quote there is no moment in fact it's the opposite. you got two guys that seem to be really bonded. And and one thing about Nick Foles is that he always seemed to understand his role, right? And so if you're Carson, you're looking at somebody that uh, this guy had the opportunity to try and come in and take my job, and he didn't. He came in mm-hmm. and did his job incredibly well and then also understood that his job was done and it was still my job to be had. I, I, at this point, it feels like the Colts this season are too pot-committed to Carson Wentz to be able to look any other way. And I'm not sure an injury that has a 5-12 to 12 week timeline is worth that, Uh, Worth looking another way. But it is a reminder that the organization should have seen a little of this coming and prepared themselves with some sort of a backup solution. That's the one thing that I I think really stands out.
2: I agree. And from what we're hearing now, the Colts are saying that they're staying pat, right? That they're not interested right now in looking for that trade. So all the names that are out there, whether that's Minshew or Foles or Mariota, um, you know, he's going to begin rehabbing in about two weeks. um, Probably not going to play in week one. But if the surgery goes okay and the rehab is okay, um, they won't need that. Um, But if it isn't uh, down the road, we could see that some of those vets are in the mix. But right now the Colts are saying that they don't need it. So big opportunity for, you know, um, quarterbacks that had zero uh, thought of probably getting some play. Um, So Jacob Eason going to get out there and and see what he's got.
1: Yeah, well, this is a... Uh, Again, a Super Bowl caliber roster that needs to have a healthy quarterback. So shame on the Colts if they don't have some sort of a backup situation figured out Spain and Fitz also quickly Sarah Spain Jason Fitz wanted to tell everybody if you didn't see this the COVID-19 effects are going to be real for the entire season still we've talked about that but the Vikings particularly feeling that as uh, coach Mike Zimmer did not mince words after everybody essentially in his quarterback room was forced to sit out of practice at this point so uh, Kellen Mond the rookie that they drafted who according to reports has been vaccinated tested positive for COVID-19 but because of close contact tracing, Kirk Cousins and Nate Stanley uh, have been put on the COVID-19 reserve list. And Cousins will be out until Thursday as a high-risk close contact. And that has uh, Coach Zimmer incredibly frustrated. Some of his quotes included, I just don't understand. I think we could put this to bed if we all do this and get vaccinated. But it is what it is. Also said, like I said before, there are quite a few guys that are just against it. I'm not going to be able to change their minds. So it's like half the country, I guess. It's their beliefs. I don't know if it's misinformation. So whatever they've heard or read and been told, I mean, he did not mince words on what this Mm -hmm. means to the Vikings as they are now looking at having to sit there with a fourth string quarterback running practice for the next several days.
2: Yeah. And you know, what we know is that unvaccinated players will have to be in a five day quarantine if they have close contact. So being unvaccinated immediately, even in these early situations before games even start takes you out of, out of opportunities. We saw, Adam Shaheen, who, by the way, his bio says, I will not comply, and his location is somewhere without a mask, is now on the reserve COVID-19 list. I, I, you know, the receipts are going to be there all season long, Fitz.
1: Yeah, and one thing Zimmer said is, quote, I just feel like we're going to have guys miss games. And, yeah. you know, for Kirk Cousins that already doesn't have a lot of backing from that fan base, the first time they have to forfeit a game or he misses a game because of COVID-19 – that fan base is going to absolutely explode and not in a good way. We'll keep Mm -hmm. you updated on it, of course. But coming up, the end of an era, we'll figure it out with an expert next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
2: We'll get back to a big day for Miami in NBA free agency. News coming fast and furious, but we got to talk a little bit about really disappointing start to this morning around 3 a.m. when the U.S. women's national team fell to Canada in a tough one. They'll play in the bronze medal match now. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, SiriusXM XM, Channel 80. And joining us now, soccer legend Abby Wambach. You can watch Abby's Places on ESPN+. Plus. Next episode comes out on Wednesday. Abby, this was a real tough one to watch, and this was a really tough tournament to watch. You know better than anyone the expectations on this U.S. women's national team. If you tried to sum up why things haven't gone their way all tournament long, and why they're ending up in the bronze match, what would you what would you say leads the way?
3: Well, thanks for having me on again. So you're gonna have to start sending me some money for. for continuing to show up for you. Um, You know what?
2: You know what? Let's just take it out on the field, okay? Red Stars versus Angel City. We'll settle it on the pitch. (laughs) Uh,
3: I think to answer your question, though, and it's tough because I'm not the coach. I'm not in their bubble. Um, Yes, I am close with a lot of the current players. But the thing is, when you look at uh, any world championship you walk into, it's different than a long season, right? So you have many games in a short period of time. So coaching tactic philosophy is between one of two things. You're either going to play for team cohesion and team sharpness, or you're going to play to hopefully get to that final and be, and have, have legs. So physical fitness and endurance, Um, those are kind of your two options and you really can't have both, right? So a lot of people are are speculating um, Latko's decisions to play many players to um, change up the starting lineup, and I understand because from the the spectator and fan perspective, it feels well of course that's why they couldn't find the the the, the way right the USA way that we're so used to seeing um, but the truth is nobody stepped up right there wasn't a kind of um, player that we've seen in past world championships, you know, the Megan Rapino of 2019, Carly Lloyd. Uh, did Blacko give some of these veteran players the time that they needed on the field to feel confident, to kind of express themselves, right? Because when you're out there as an athlete, you have to have a little bit of swagger, right? But you need a little bit of time to develop that swagger. You need to, you need to be able to make mistakes and not fear getting yanked or not fear not starting the next game, to be able to do the unthinkable, to be able to do the impossible. And as a coach, you live and die by those choices. You're either going to play for team chemistry and sharpness, or you're playing to hopefully maybe get into the final and have your team be able to play a full 120 if it goes an extra time.
1: So when you look at all of this and try and move it forward, Abby, does something need to change in the way that the women's national team puts all of this together, or is this just one of those years?
3: Well, I think, I mean, that's a good question, and I'm not going to be the one that answers Thank it, you. but I think, you know, I have I've had experience on both sides of this of, of this philosophy difference, right? We've had success when coaches have chosen – Uh, to have a consistent starting lineup. We've won championships that way. We've also lost championships that way, right? And then we've had success in the opposite. So it really is a matter of who is on the team and knowing those players, right? And having um, the, the leadership to be able to guide all of those players through whatever coaching philosophy you're going to put forth, right? People call it the modern game. Look, what we're doing is we're dealing with people. And sometimes you got to make decisions and you have to figure out um, what is going to be best for the team based on individuals who are capable or incapable of certain things, if that makes any sense.
2: Abby Wambach of Abby's Places on ESPN Plus with us here on Spain and Fitz. She takes on Peyton Manning's signature show and explores what makes her game the most beautiful of all through conversations with soccer legends of the past and present and celebrities who have seen it all. Abby showcases what makes soccer such a sensation worldwide. You got Brandi Chastain, Julie Foudy, and Brianna Scurry reminiscing on their game-changing gold medal at the 99 World Cup in the next episode coming out Wednesday. That's going to be a great one. You know, when you hear from people like the the Foudys and Chastains and, and Wambachs of the world, you talk so much about the fight to become the team that is expected to win every time. How mm-hmm. difficult is it to be the team that now takes over that mantle um, and maybe didn't grow and build it and instead is just saddled with the expectation to, to maintain that?
3: Well, I think that um, what people don't understand is that there are no people that have higher expectations of themselves than the players, um, even the, the, the team right now right? They expected to be in the gold medal game. They, that was their expectation more than anybody watching more than any fan, because they've seen and they've participated in the buildup. They know what they've sacrificed. Right. So for me, I'm not, expectations don't matter to me because they pale the world's expectations of our national team pale in comparison to our own expectations of our team. Um, when I was a player, the thing that haunted me the most was disappointing the players of the past, right? And I'm here to say, right, if you're a fan and you want to in any way belittle this team, uh, I will be the first one to stand up and fight for those players because they are spectacular. Not only are they dealing with immense amount of pressure, um, but they're also still wanting to put um, – women's soccer on their backs and carry it on, whether it's in the NWSL, whether it's on the women's national team. And by the way, when you look out and see Team Canada doing so wonderfully, though they are one of our arch our, our rivals, you can't help but, but say, you know what, we've helped that program. We've helped the Swedens. We've helped um, the Australias of the world get better so many of those players have come and played in the U S so many of those players have played in the university system in the U S so there is a build and there is an ownership of it all. That is super important. Um, And, and frankly, you know, I love this team so much and watching Pino get emotional um, during the post game interview and Carly Lloyd in the background running sprints. um, I just don't know if there's a better video of, what it means to these players, what it means to be on the national team, what it means to represent your country, because the truth is the world cup is different than the Olympics. You are among many amazing talented athletes at the Olympics. And the world cup is just like uniquely your own little thing. Um, So I just, I feel really proud of them. And I, you know, they didn't have it this tournament for whatever reason Um, they're human beings. They can't be expected to be robots and be perfect all the time. But one thing I do know for sure about our women's national team is that we never stay down for too long and we use, and will use every little bit of this failure because I don't care what you want to say. Yes, there's still a bronze medal up in the air, but it is a failure, no doubt, right? They're going to play and they're going to play hard for that bronze, no doubt. And this is no disrespect to, to Sweden or to Australia or to Canada, because they've all done a phenomenal job in this tournament, but watch out, right? The U.S., has a tendency to use these moments and these failures and flip them on its head very quickly. So here we come, World Cup 2023.
2: Ooh, ooh. Abby always gives us like a a locker room speech when she comes on the show. Like it starts out answering questions, and then by the end, she basically just wants Fitz and I to suit up and go play something, anything. Nobody uh, wants that from me, but Uh, I would try,
1: Abby. I would try my hardest for you. It would look (laughs) awful, but I would do it.
3: Uh, This is uh, why I'm going to send you an invoice for every time I come on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Motivating your listeners.
2: (laughs) Uh, Checks in the mail. We do appreciate it. We know how busy and in demand you are. Uh, Hope the move with Glennon out to Cali has been good. And uh, come visit us again soon. We'll talk about the bronze medal win, hopefully.
3: Yes. Love you guys. Thanks so much, Thanks, Abby. Abby. Abby.
2: Abby Wambach brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Don't forget to check out the next episode of Abby's Places on ESPN Plus next Wednesday. It's Spain and Fitz. Coming up, some good news out of the Olympics and also the latest in NBA free agency as the news keeps coming. It's Spain
0: and Fitz, the podcast.
2: (laughs) Yeah, he's never going to live that one down. That's going to keep coming back. Unfortunately for him, that one's going to be making an appearance. It might just close out every show from here on out. It's Spain and Fitz, Air Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance and... Yeah, I did spend most of the weekend after Friday's fateful show uh, still mourning the Cubs, but perhaps some good news on the Bulls front, some great news from Lewis Riddick coming out about Justin Fields. So trying to stay optimistic and a little bit of optimism provided by some Simone Biles news fits. She will compete on beam in the final day of individual events in a pretty cool twist because of her removing herself from the other individual events and all around all of her teammates ended up earning a medal which is really cool. Uh we 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 saw Jade Carey on the floor, we saw um you know one of the cool ones you know is is people who didn't even qualify who had a chance like Michaela Skinner to get a medal in in the vault. So um or was it was it was it bars? Either way, Simone Biles takes herself out of those events and Americans get get medals and now she's back in on the beam and One thing worth noting, based on some of the posts she's made on Instagram and stuff like that, the twisties that she's dealing with where her body and her mind don't connect usually happen in the elements that require a ton of back-to-back moves where you hear about it being a triple-twisting yada yada. That doesn't happen on the beam. If you watch beam regularly, you know the most complicated part is a dismount. Everything else is single flips or round-offs or things like that. That's my guess fits as to why she maybe feels comfortable making the appearance on the beam
1: well and one thing to keep in mind is that if she's making an appearance that means she feels comfortable and that has yeah. to be the most important part most of this important. like uh, one thing that we've talked a lot about and i think deserves a reminder to people is that uh, when you're talking about mental health and overall what what you're going through in that process that's going to be a little day-to-day like there there are days you have good days and you have bad days and so if she feels like she's gotten centered to the point that she's comfortable getting out there and doing it That's amazing because we all get to appreciate Simone Biles, uh, and that's really what it has to be about. It's just separating from all the noise and just watching the greatest of all time do something that she's absolutely unbelievable at.
2: If you want to watch it, 4.50 a.m. Eastern this morning, tomorrow morning, whatever you would call it, Woof. is women's beam. I imagine there will be plenty of coverage in the primetime Tokyo Olympics coverage as well. Spain and Fitz here, Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Uh, you can hear things like the whacking montage and otherwise that you might have missed uh, on Apple, iTunes, the ESPN app, wherever you get your pods. Uh, let's hit some more NBA free agency. A couple things uh, also to note. We got news on some of the questions we had about guys like Chris Paul, who ends up Resigning signing um, uh, as expected with the Suns. Darren Ravel pointing out that if he finishes out this new four-year deal, he will make over $446 million in his career. Mm. Um, but also Rick Buecher pointing out that only the first two years of that deal are fully guaranteed. Third year is partial, fourth is non-guaranteed. He will be 40 by the end of it. So we can't say for sure he will finish out that new four-year deal, but he does ink that with the Suns. Um, meanwhile, a lot of questions around Kawhi, not surprising, as Kawhi tends to be a mercurial soul. Here's Brian Windhorse, and why it was strange to see him opt out.
0: If he was 100% going to stay with the Clippers, he would stay into his contract and extend off of that. That financially would be the best decision. Also, if he had done that, he would have enabled the Clippers to apply for a disabled player exception, which would have given them a $10 million one-time exception they could use to sign a player. Uh, in free agency that could add to that. By him opting out, they lose that. So that is not him operating in concert with the team, which makes me wonder what his intentions are. I'm not I'm not projecting what his intentions are. I'm just saying that he doesn't seem to be operating in concert with the Clippers.
2: Frustrating, Fitz, right? Um...
1: Well, and and not just that, but anytime you can save your organization money in today's world, you're also saving them cap space to do other things, right? Like, we all know that. So. I think it's interesting to see him operate in such a separated way from everybody else through this process. And it speaks to, you know, Kawhi's got every right to look out for himself and figure out what he wants to do. But my God, if you're the Clippers at this point, you have to be incredibly uncomfortable not knowing where things are. And in the meantime, you're watching free agency happen and you're watching all of these moves happen quickly, not really understanding exactly what his intentions are, which will impact the way you would have approached that market. So if he doesn't stay, then this is the ultimate up yours to the glippers.
2: Uh, Not to mention, he's recovering from that knee injury. Right. And so there's question marks about just how healthy he'll be when he does return, what his timing is, and all of that. So still some questions around Kawhi. Some questions also for the Lakers. Of course, we announced the big deal, sending Russell Westbrook there to form a new Big Three. Maybe LeBron trying to create uh, another team in the image of the Miami Big Three. But because of the amount of money going to those three players, the most ever for three players on the same team, they got to get real creative now. And Brian Windhorse was on KJZ this morning, and the number I heard of players that they need to get to show up because they want to be a part of a winning team is pretty remarkable.
0: I honestly believe that the Lakers are going to need to sign 10 minimum players. <laughs> what well, you just heard me. 10, 10 minimum players (laughs) that means that they are going to have to look for guys to take discounts and fill different roles all across the board so any player that you have that you think that they could get on the minimum whether it's a guy like Carmelo Anthony all the way down to a a low-level shooter who just got released yesterday a guy named Matt Thomas they're gonna be in the game for all guys who they may be able to get for that price because they are not going to be able to 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 outbid anybody.
2: So worth noting, uh, Wode's reporting that Dwight Howard is returning to the Lakers, so we know that they will keep keep him. Trevor Ariza a one year deal with the Lakers, um, and I think there was another that that was up. So they're they're getting a couple of those players that they need to kind of fill in around the big three, but. I do not envy the folks who are running that front office for the Lakers trying to figure out how they can make all this work.
1: Well, especially because we all know what they need. They need shooting. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure where you find great shooters, at veteran minimum, that want to go. Maybe. I, I understand the argument as well. I'll take a discount to play there. But how many amazing shooters, which is what we keep just saying constantly, well, the Lakers will find shooters. To me, the best place to find shooters is realistically would have been in the draft, but they don't have any draft capital right now that they can use, not just right now, but for the foreseeable future. So this issue of needing shooters isn't going to go away anytime soon. It feels like they have pinched themselves into a corner where perfect. If, if AD and LeBron are healthy, they're going to be one of, if not the best team in the West, we know that, but that's a big if, and if that doesn't happen, they've got nothing around them.
2: Well, so Wayne Ellington jr. Is the other player whose name I couldn't uh, pull out of the back of my brain, one year deal as well with the Lakers. So, Two veteran shooters in Ellington Jr. and Ariza, which helps some of the problem that you spoke to. Um, you know, Ellington played for the team back in 2014, 15, and Ariza obviously helped the Lakers win a title, what a dozen years ago, ten yeah. years ago, however long. So um, they're 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 starting to address that problem. And if you recall, I, I mentioned this last year, or sorry, last week, LeBron James, the only player on that Lakers squad. That's still there from last season. Who had over a hundred threes? The other two teams in the league that didn't last year have 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 any um, have more than one player with at least 100 hundred threes were lottery teams. So uh, the Lakers knew they needed to not find themselves in that situation. So adding those shooters around is going to help. Um, but yeah, I mean that, that's going to be a, a yet another extremely interesting chemistry experiment there for the Lakers. Uh we know Kyle Lowry headed to the Heat. Butler got paid to stick around with the Heat. Duncan Robinson there. Uh Trey Young absolutely pulling in bank and Lonzo ball to the Bulls. Rumors are that they are still trying to potentially get DeMar DeRozan in a sign and trade as well. Those are the kind of the big news of the day, Fitz. Uh, so Kawhi, I would say the biggest name that we're still sort of waiting on.
1: Yeah. And by the way, Knicks fans are already very nervous about all of this as the team with the most money to spend is sitting here and we're all waiting to see what happens with any of that cash. So I'm a little surprised we haven't seen something blockbuster out of New York at this point.
2: Yeah, and unfortunately, not the best time to have a ton of money. It yeah. just isn't that big, huge name this year like there has been in years past. Coming up, an Olympic gold medalist is going to join us, tell Woo-hoo! us how it felt to win it all and what she has planned for her gold medal parade. It's next.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM. Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests will join us on the Goodyear Hotline. As you just heard on the Sports Center update, update, lots of action happening right now across the NBA. We'll keep you updated as we get more breaking news, the big ones that most have heard at this point. It uh, looks like Jimmy Butler and the Heat are uh, about to do a contract extension. Kyle Lowry is going to be joining him, though, as he's signed a three-year deal with Miami and a sign-in trade with the Toronto Raptors. So that's taken uh, care of. And also Duncan Robinson agreed to a five-year, $90 million contract to stay with Miami. So Miami has been particularly so far busy through the process of it. We will keep you updated on all the moves and anything else that breaks, but we got some Olympic fun to have uh, now. So to do that, we're going to head over to the Goodyear Hotline where we are joined by Alicia Gray, Team USA Basketball 3X3 Gold Medalist. Alicia, congratulations on being a gold medalist. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I know it's crazy right now. Let's start with the basics here. What drew I love 3X3. Let me just say that. I love it. I'm passionate about it. I fell in love with it during the Olympics. So what drew you to wanting to do that sport at this Olympics?
4: Uh, Well, I was asked uh, by USA Basketball to uh, do 3x3. I mean, never played it before, didn't really know anything about the game, but I was told there was a chance to be able to go to the Olympics, so I said yes. (laughs)
2: I know. I I think if anybody called me and said, I have an idea and I think you could go to the Olympics in it, I would be there. It doesn't matter what uh, it is. (laughs) Um, And then you end up winning gold. So I'm I'm interested in that part, too, because I did. You know, I'm a fan of the Chicago Sky, so I'm seeing Steph Dolson post about this in the run up to the games beforehand. And I'd heard about this three three X three being a part of the games. How many friends and family members when you said I'm training i'm going to trials i'm going to talk like all this had a lot of questions for you about what exactly this was and needed to be caught up on it
4: Uh, well i kind of like kept it like in my inner circle so really people only really knew was like my immediate family when i first started doing it because i was going like to training camps and and different camps and stuff and then as time went because i was still learning the game myself like i didn't really know the rules i just knew it was like a 10 minute game you can only sub on on dead balls at the time, and the coach couldn't coach. So I really didn't know the rules myself. So I was still learning the game. So once mm-hmm. I was able to learn the rules and, and learn the game, then I was able to explain it to people. And I feel like I fully got the gist of is Three when I was at the Olympics. Like I knew everything that was going on once I got to the Olympics.
1: <laughs> I mean, I felt shell shocked when I watched it for the first time. Like the, the energy and the pace is <laughs> incredible. Like, so what was the biggest adjustment for you in playing this style of basketball?
4: Uh, definitely the physicality of the game. Uh, as you said, as you watching, we were getting completely hammered, and there was no fouls, no fouls being called. Just the cardio of the game, having to lock in and and play that extra thirty seconds because you don't know when the next dead ball is. I mean, you only can have one timeout, off. you have to use that wisely because you never know you may have to use that as well. So just just like the physicality and, and the cardio was the biggest adjustment for me.
2: It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, talking to Alicia Gray, gold medal Woo! winner in 3x3. Um, how, how interesting is it when you're in the middle of a WNBA season to partner up with players from the sky and, and Jason's aces? Yeah, my aces, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and decide, you know, <laughs> we're all going to get together and, and forget our other allegiances to our WNBA teams.
4: I mean, we when you're competing Olympics, we're all one team, we're all uh, USA, so I mean, we put we put all that to the side. of me. but I mean we all knew each other before, like cordial with each other, but I think then with three or three, it just made our bond even stronger and I think well I know I've built friendships that that last a long time. I mean, anytime you have a friend on a different team, like in the lives, you're all serious but outside the lives is all funny jokes, but we knew we had one common goal and we needed to come together in, in order to complete that gold medal.
1: We've talked a lot on this show about, obviously, COVID and, and what it means for the Olympics and everybody uh, trying to deal with it. So what was your level of concern going over there, given everything going on, and, and what was the experience like for you there regarding that?
4: Uh, well, we were we were pretty much uh, close-knit. Lockdown because we actually didn't stay in the village. We stayed in a hotel, so we we COVID tested every day. Uh They made sure all guidelines were followed, and it's just a matter of just going out there and just planning in, in hopes that you don't you don't catch COVID. But I mean, USA Basketball did an excellent job in in keeping us safe and following all the guidelines, so we're able to stay COVID free.
2: So. Tell us why it was that you believe you were called up to play 3x3. What is it about the game, the speed, the half-court nature, the physicality that made you and the rest of your teammates um, the right people for this? Why is it, you know, Steph Dolson and, and Kelsey Plum and, and you, and why are these players selected?
4: Uh, I'd say for me personally, for me, I'll say because I have – I feel like I have a complete all-around game. I can, I can guard all sizes. I'm aggressive, can score, extend, do all like the small stuff, rebound, and stuff like that. For Kelsey, I mean, she's a great scorer, uh, can create her own shot, great ISO player, and can even lock down on defense. Great three-point shooter. And for Jackie, I mean, she's the same thing. Aggressive on defense, uh, can get to the basket anytime she wants, can get a bucket anytime she wants. That's just, just her dominant inside presence. I mean, as you can see, she's the best uh, big big man, big woman uh, at the tournament. I mean, straight force, unstoppable, but also can shoot jump shots and threes as well. So, I mean, we all brought different things to the 3-3 game that made it work and made us gel so well together.
1: One thing I think is interesting, though, Alicia, is the WNBA is never afraid of looking at things. Are there elements of 3x3 or elements you could see them incorporating into the league, even in exhibition events, just for the fun of it? Uh... I I don't know because it's a little different. I mean, that
4: that's a little a little hardcore. I don't think in five on five be able to hit people like that and be as a as aggressive in five on five. I kind of want to protect protect the players more uh, in five on because three on three x three. I mean that. I, I say this all the time, hats off to the people that play Thursday year-round because that game <laughs> is physical. Like, you take a bean like that year-round, like, it's definitely different.
2: <laughs> uh, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, I saw on Steph's Insta that she had a little parade. She was, you know, on top of a convertible with a bunch of friends and family <laughs> and community members, like, showing off the gold. Uh, how has your celebration been? What have you done uh, now that you're a gold medalist?
4: Well, I'm I'ma go home after the uh, I'm gonna go back to my hometown after the season. I mean I already have a have a parade set up and other nice. other events that they're gonna do for me, so they're excited and can't wait to uh, get me back. So after the season I'm gonna I'm gonna spend a little time, uh maybe a week a week or two back in my hometown so I can celebrate my gold medal with them.
1: I mean, do you wear the gold medal though when you get back with your teammates now? I mean, it feels like that's the sort of thing you got it. you flaunt it, you don't take it <laughs> off. you make sure everybody knows?
4: uh yeah, I'm definitely our first game back. I'm definitely taking tunnel pics in my gold medal, so that's the first <laughs> yeah uh i'm i'm gonna let I'm gonna let my teammates uh see the medal. Well, people don't know like that medal is heavy. They told <laughs> this is the heaviest medal that they they've ever like made for the Olympics, so that medal is really heavy. Like, I got to get some more neck strength today to carry a thing <laughs> every day.
2: Imagine being Katie Ledecky or uh, Caleb Dressel, right? They've got oh my God. eight oh, around yeah. their neck. Swimmers, though, they got That's strong a good neck, to strong have neck, have. strong yeah. shoulders. That's a good problem to have.
1: <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm going to do my next workout routine, which will be, you know, not that much, but I'll just lift a bunch of medals. That's the way to do it. Hey, Alicia, we really Are you appreciate gonna find it. them, Fitz friends. I mean, yeah, no, it's, it's just gotta just. I'm going to post videos of Go down other people's to a medals. Bowling you know, alley. To, find oh some. God. <laughs> Alicia, congratulations. (laughs) This is such a cool moment. Obviously, it was fun to watch you guys. We enjoyed every second of it. I'm now infatuated with 3X3. So uh, thanks for bringing uh, so much attention to it, and congratulations on being a gold medal winner. Thank y'all so much. I'm just being humble, really. I mean, I'm working out like a maniac right now. I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm getting all kinds of swole. Let's just say that. Let's just say that out loud. I could lift some medals now. All right. Uh, I mean, you know, one one step at a time with the training. But, you know, I'm I'm getting there. Uh, All right. Let's get some thoughts coming up next on the Colts and what to do with the quarterback position. We'll go to Indy and talk to an expert next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM channel. Ladies, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Again, we're keeping you updated throughout the course of the day on the breaking NBA news as it happens, so we will let you know uh, right now. We've got a couple of transactions that have happened at this point. Uh, the Knicks have kept their key free agents, Derek Rose, Nerlens Noel, Alec Burl, and they just added Evan Fournier in the form of a, uh, what looks like a, I'm trying to find the deal here, yes, yeah, $78 million. Uh, could be a max of $78 million over the course of four years. So, Uh, That's that. And also Alex Caruso, free agent guard, just agreed to a four year deal with the Chicago Bulls. So we'll keep you updated on everything that's happening. Look at this. You just woge bombs come every single second right now. So
2: broke some news to me in the middle of my own show. I hadn't seen that that one
1: yet. Look at that. All right. We'll get back to the NBA news in a minute. But uh, obviously all eyes have been on the Colts, a Super Bowl caliber roster that now have question marks uh, at the quarterback position, particularly with Carson Wentz and the news that he's undergoing foot surgery that will keep him out anywhere from 5 to 12 weeks. So we're going to get a little expertise uh, from somebody that knows the team incredibly well. Jim Aiello, uh, Aiello sorry, from the Indianapolis Star Colts Insider. Colts, Colt, hmm, I'm just going to learn how to read. Co-host of Colts Cover 2 podcast. In my defense, that's not easy to say. Why start now? Honestly, uh, right, you've made it fair. this far without knowing
2: how to Jim, read.
1: you're far more professional <laughs> than I am, obviously. Let's start with the obvious here. What are the Colts' uh, immediate short-term plans when it comes to the quarterback position?
5: Well, it's Jacob Eason, and that's, that's the guy they drafted in the fourth round uh, last year, and that's the guy they're going to trust for now. I mean, honestly, it, it, they kind of had an opportunity to head this off and decided not to. They decided to say, hey, we're going to trust Jacob Eason. We're not going to bring in a veteran uh, during the offseason. They drafted Sam Ellinger in the sixth round. They signed a guy named Jalen Morton, an undrafted free agent. Like I said, they had every chance to try to back up a guy like Carson Wentz, who has a long injury history, and they decided, nope, we're going to ride with Jacob Eason." And so that's the guy. That's the guy who is he's struggled in camp so far. Um, he didn't, I mean, this is essentially uh, another rookie season for him. He was kind of a redshirt rookie last year. He was the third-string quarterback behind Phillip Rivers and Jacoby Brissett, so he barely took any snaps, you know, in whatever training camp was last year, no preseason, barely got any snaps during practice uh, all year last year. So he's effectively a rookie, and that's the guy they're going to trust right now. I mean, I still think that they might have to explore the veteran quarterback market now, but as far as Frank Reich is concerned, it's, it's Jacob Jacoby's job to lose.
2: It's Relatively new that we heard uh, reporting that the Colts said they were going to stay pat for now, depending on how long and how well Wentz recovers from this surgery. So maybe there isn't enough out there. But have you heard of any fans who are ready to see Jacob Beeson get a shot? Or are we all scrambling for Foles, Mariota, Minshew, whoever else?
5: The untapped potential, the, the mystery box of the the <laughs> guy we haven't seen yet. Everybody seems to want to see, you know, Jacob Eason. He's going to be the next great thing in Indianapolis. So I that seems to be where fans want to go right now. And I think, you know, they look around, they saw what Nick Foles was last year and didn't love it. They've seen, you know, what Andy Dalton is kind of, you know, some of them like Gardner Minshew, but I think it's kind of hard to imagine an inter-division trade. So there are some fans kind of, Streaming on quarterbacks from outside the organization, but a lot of them are pretty eager to see what Jacob Eason can do. So, I think the Colts are eager too. But until you get him in, a, I mean, again, this guy has never faced an NFL defense before. The first time he's gone up against starters are in camp is in camp right now. So this is the first time he's ever faced them. So once you get to a preseason game against Carolina in a couple of weeks here, at least we'll see what he can do then because nobody really knows.
1: We're talking to Jim Iello, Indianapolis Star Colts insider and co-host of the Colts Cover Two podcast. I just wanted to get that right, Jim. So I, I appreciate you letting <laughs> me run it back. That was perfect. Uh, thank you. Thank Been you happy so to do much that for the intro for the show. You know that, that one one step of baby steps around here, like just baby steps. So uh, I, I keep looking at what the Colts have given up in equity to get Carson Wentz, and then thinking about what mm-hmm. they would have to give up if they want to turn around and acquire another quarterback at this point. But also, with the roster being as good as they are, where's the line for the organization in knowing that they're in their Super Bowl window, but also realizing how much can you continue to, to throw at a quarterback position?
5: That's a great question. And I think Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Colts, is trying to figure that out right now. The other thing they're operating against is that gigantic window that you talked about already, five to 12 weeks. I mean, that's either returns for week one or misses half the season. Right. Those, are, those, are very diff- those are very different outcomes. Um, so I think they're trying to figure out, okay, he had the surgery today at four o'clock two weeks from now. We'll have a better idea of when he gets back. But like you said, they, they, this is a team that thinks they can contend in the AFC that if everything went right, if Carson Wentz was kind of the guy he was, maybe not even 2017 where he was MVP for him, but 2019 even, Hey, they can challenge the chiefs. They can challenge the bills. So I think in my opinion, I think they're going to want to try to find a veteran quarterback. If Jacob Eason doesn't work out in the first week or two and Wentz is going to be out for a while. Yeah, you do want to get that guy. You do want to bring in a veteran. And I don't know that it, if the cost is a sixth or seventh round pick, which, again, we're talking. say we're talking about Nick Foles, the Bears seem like they kind of want to get rid of Nick Foles. They don't really have room for him. They want to shed some of the salary. He's the sure third-string do. quarterback there. I don't know that they would charge much more than a sixth or seventh round pick. Chris Ballard, I went through this today. Chris Ballard is one of the best drafters in the NFL. His sixth and seventh round picks, most of them, haven't made much of an impact, just like every other GM in the NFL. So if you have to part with one of those to give yourself a little security, I think maybe you do it.
2: With Spain and Fitz Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, represented by Progressive Insurance. Jim Ayello of the Indianapolis Star joins us here. He also hosts the Colts Cover 2 podcast. This is a team that starts the season against the Seahawks, Rams, Titans, Dolphins, and Ravens four of those teams made the playoffs they want to combine 54 and 26 so it won't be an easing in for Jacob Eason if he indeed is the starter for those for those games where are the other s- strengths and weaknesses on this team once we get past the issues at the quarterback position that have you feeling either optimistic or uh, maybe trepidatious about that start
5: no, so that's the good thing about uh, this for Jacob Eason is that the running game should be really strong. They have a really good offensive line. One of the highest-paid centers in the league is Ryan Kelly, Quinn Nelson, everybody knows about him. Eric Fisher is just about back from an Achilles. I mean, I shouldn't say just about back, but he's returning from an Achilles tear, and he should be ready you know, relatively early in the season. And they have Braden Smith, who they just paid $72 million. So they have a really good offensive line. I think every fantasy player out there knows who Jonathan Taylor is. The guy is great and then had a huge end of the season. So they can rely on the running game, they can throw to Taylor. They can throw to Naeem Hines, make some easy passes for him. Frank Reich is a really good coach. He really, I mean, you saw what he did with Andrew Luck. You saw what he did with Jacoby Grissett. You saw what he did with Phillip Rivers last year. Those are three very different kinds of quarterbacks, and he's been able to tailor offenses to fit them. So there is some optimism in that if it was Jacob Eason, they can just trust him, trust Frank Reich, to make an offense that fits what he does well. The other thing is the defense is a very opportunistic defense. Um, they, they, they create a lot of turnovers, Darius Leonard in particular, another guy who's about to get paid, creates a ton of turnovers, called a lot of fumbles. There's a team that they think they can take the next step. They drafted a couple of edge rushers in Pay and Dio, uh, Odiangbo, and um, they really think both those guys can have a huge impact on their, on their edge rush, get a lot of sacks, and, and maybe create more close games. So there is reason for optimism, um, even without Carson Wentz, as silly as that may sound.
1: You guys can follow him on Twitter at Jim Iello. You can read him on in the Indy Star and check out the Colts Cover 2 podcast. Jim, really appreciate your insight. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Thanks for having me. You know, sir, it's interesting because he talked about some of those draft editions, and we spent so much time in April obsessing about it, and then it just sort of gets out of mind. But he's right. Uh-huh. Like This is a very, very talented defense with a great running game and a really, really good offensive line. I feel like... In this situation, you know, you could have some optimism. But that schedule you mentioned is a burden. And you start thinking about the way this team could start. I mean, I understand that there's plenty of season in a 17-game season. But, man, I don't know how comfortable I am if I'm the Colts starting in that kind of hole.
2: Well, that's why it hurt so much for Wentz to be injured because they had put a whole lot in thinking that he was going to be the cherry on top of this Sunday, and now so many question marks.
1: Yeah, and, and then the other part of that is even when he comes in, he's got to knock the rust off, he's got to learn, he's got to get timing with everybody. So a lot to get to. Speaking of a lot to get to, we have tons on the NBA Free Agency latest acquisitions. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
2: NBA Free Agency is underway, and... Man, did some of these teams and players get some deals done fast? Fits Woo. love at first sight. Uh, the window opens, and ninety seconds later, they've figured out all of the complicated details of an NBA contract. Speed Impressive. contracting. It's like you sit across <laughs> each
1: other. Yeah, sixty Oops. seconds to decide if you're gonna marry. <laughs>
2: That's right. Spain and Fitz, Air Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle auto, home, or motorcycle insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Joining us now to break down the biggest deals so far today, ESPN NBA front office insider Bobby Marks. Let's start with that. What was the biggest surprise for you so far?
6: Well, I mean, I I don't know if Lonzo caught me off guard. I think we kind of had penciled him in, you know, certainly in – in Chicago, but I think, you know, certainly to work out at a sign and trade and to, I guess, you know, still have Thaddeus young and you still, we'll see what happens with Lauren marketing and, um, and then you go out and get Alex Caruso. I mean, I think I I had Lonzo. as like my third best point guard out there, you know, behind, um, you know, certainly behind Chris Paul and um, and Mike Conley, I just, uh, I'm a big fan of his. And I think, um, you know, for a team that really their you know their options were somewhat limited um, without you know gutting some of their roster. Um, I I just like what they were able to do. So I don't know if that kind of caught me off guard, but I think that's probably puts puts it up top as far as one of the one of the deals I I really like uh, as far as what happened.
1: So Bobby, the Heat were active, obviously in getting Kyle Lowry. They keep Robinson. Who are they now as a team in the East to you?
6: Top three. They get a pit bull in Kyle Lowry. Uh, they keep Duncan Robinson. You don't lose Tyler Hero, and that I don't think they'd lose Tyler Hero. I think Precious Achua will go in with Dragic to uh, to Toronto. We'll see what they do with their um, their mid level exception, which they which is about nine point five million dollars, and, and you just extend it, Jimmy, and you have you know Bam back. Um, Kyle gives them a different di- a, a dimension. You know he is a tough competitor here. Um, I mean, when you can roll out a group with him and, and Jimmy Butler out there, man, good luck as far as from a defensive standpoint.
2: Bob, are you surprised about the money going to Derrick Rose this part of his career?
6: Hi, yes, I had him as like an eight million dollar guy. I think his first year is starting around thirteen million dollars. Three years is a little bit, um, a little bit rich for me. Um, you know, uh, you know, Derrick has you know turned into. I mean, that's kind of starter type money and. I still see Derek in that that six man you know type role as far as you know I think he could start for you, but more primarily coming off the bench and New York went the continuity way and you know besides evan Fournier who they sign you know, you bring back um new Noel and you bring back alex Burke certainly um you know Derek Rose here um and that's kind of how they're gonna you know enter the uh, the season and I think what new york would have did, it does is you have now you have a bunch of controllable contracts out there when if the time comes that if there's a deal to be made for one of these disgruntled all-stars, as I always say, then you have these team-friendly type contracts that, you know, you could potentially move down the road.
1: Is that enough? I mean, are the Knicks doing enough given the money they have and where they want to be in the East?
6: They're not going to be. I don't I don't see them being where they are, um, you know, a four seed. I, I don't. I mean, I think, you know, certainly where, where Miami's been able to do. And that was always – Jason, that was always the hard part. Is that you know what you you, you can go from a, I guess a you know a, a lottery team to, you know a four or five seed, and then it's like what's next? Like how do you you know how do you kind of take that next step? And I just didn't see this free agent class as far as guys that you could take the next step with. And you bring these you know basically the, the core group back with you know Randall and, and Barrett, and I think you're a playoff team, but I, they're they're not a threat. To you know, the, the teams up top certainly Milwaukee, Brooklyn. I think uh, Miami would probably put Philly in the uh, put Philly in that equation. Boston too. I mean, I like what Boston was able to do. Um, you know, last week.
2: Spain and Fitz here. Spain, Jason Fitz talking to Bobby Marks, ESPN NBA front office insider, about all things the NBA free agency, which got underway today. I was listening to Brian Windhorst talking on KJNZ this morning about the interesting predicament the Lakers are in in terms of the amount of money they have doled out to their big three and now needing to get about 10 minimum contracts. How much does the Caruso <laughs> deal help, and what do you make of the people that they've so far managed to bring back to uh, former Lakers veteran shooters that they added today?
6: I feel like we're t- in 2010 again. Trevor <laughs> Reason, Dwight Howard. I mean, goodness, Simpler gracious. times. Take back me then back. Then I, I think back then I... <laughs> I had hair back then, you know, I don't think my (laughs) hair is going to go back anytime soon here, but the Caruso signing really hurts them just because um, they had bird rights on Alex, which means they can exceed the cap. So you lose him. Now you're down to minimums. We, we see with Ariza, Trevor Ariza, you know, Wayne Ellington, Dwight Howard, guys like that. Um, You've got, you know, you still got restricted free agent town Horton Tucker. I think the big thing is going to be what, what happens with Dennis Schroeder now, right? Like, you know, is there a deal out there that you can maybe use them in a sign-and-trade that makes sense and can bring back some, some you know, bodies as far as that bench? But when you have five players that are committed $130 million, I mean, this is kind of the predicament that you put yourself in.
1: We're talking to Bobby Marks on Spain and Fitz there, Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, the other big name everybody's looking at is Kawhi, Bobby. And, you know, yeah. we, we played a little bit of Wendy earlier talking about the ways that Kawhi could have – Helped the Clippers as he figured out what's next, and he didn't do that. So, you know, as a former front office guru, like how how would you look at the way Kawhi is handling this situation?
6: Well, it could be a fifty million dollar mistake. I mean, that's we'll see what type of contract. It's if if he signs a four year contract to return with with the Clippers, it's a fifty dollar fifty million dollar mistake. Just based on what he he could have done as far as signing long term with with Los Angeles by adding that extra year, I think. I think the likelihood Jason that we'll see is a one plus one, have a player option for next year. He'll rehab on $39 million. And then um, Kawhi Leonard, once again, <laughs> will become a free agent. We'll be talking about him next off season. The one thing that hurts them though, is, and I think Brian touched on this, is that because he's a free agent technically right now, you know, they don't, they're not allowed to apply for that disabled player exception. It'll give him a $9.5 million chip to go out and sign a player, but, they can't do that now because Leonard is, uh, you know, technically a free agent.
2: Bobby, you think DeMar DeRozan is still on the move?
6: Oh, man. You know, what is the market for DeMar DeRozan, right? I mean, I think you're looking at sign-and-trade options um, if, if you're him. And, and potentially, I don't think Chicago's a place. I know Brian talked about that, about that earlier. New York's out of the mix here. Um, you know, can you go back to San Antonio? I mean, they just spent some pretty good money on Doug McDermott and, and Zach Collins. Um, I, it's hard for me to find a home for DeMar DeRozan. I mean, would he go to Miami for the $9.5 million mid-level exception? I mean, maybe, you know, no state taxes, a great team, and then maybe just reboot and go into free agency again. But, yeah, it's it's tough sledding for a guy. I mean, he's going to be 32, and he's averaged 20 points eight years in a row here. So um, I don't see it right now as far as one of these, you know, these cap space-type teams, unless, it's, unless he goes to t- – to, like, a team like Oklahoma City, let's say. And the Thunder use him as a trade chip when we get closer to that deadline and maybe they flip him, you know, for another player.
1: So, Bobby, with all of this talk about all the moves we've seen today, who in your mind has just drastically changed where they are as an NBA franchise?
6: Well, I mean, I just think Miami, just because of, you know, you get swept by Milwaukee and, you know, you're, you're, you could either have rolled back that same group with with Dragic and um, – Iguodala, um you could have brought back Trevor Reason stuff, and then you go out and, and, and you get Kyle, um, you know, in a sign and trade, and we'll see if they've got another kind of move up their sleeve. Um, I, I just like what the Heat have done, and I think they, you know, as I said, they moved from probably a six or seven seed in, in the Eastern Conference, and I think they've solidified themselves as a top three team in the East.
2: One last question for you, Bobby. You know, Jared Allen is the guy. That had an, an interesting exit and headed to cleveland now he's going to stay there five years a hundred million dollars i don't think a lot of people that are not diehards have paid a lot of attention because <laughs> he was with the Cavs. good investment future superstar what do you see there
6: i look at it sarah when you're doing these type of deals is it a tradable contract two or three years from now if if that's the position you're going to put in if be put in and You know, uh, uh, unless you're Jokic, um, Embiid, um, Rudy Gobert, I mean, teams do not pay a premium for centers these days. And Cleveland paid a premium. You know, it's it's a top ten type center. Um, He's certainly a good player. Um, You know, you know, Clint Capella's was at eighty million. Clint Clint got five years, eighty million a couple years ago. So, it's a little bit rich. I get it. There was teams out there like Toronto that potentially could have put an offer sheet down, but. Um, it's a big number.
2: Yeah. Bobby, thanks for the insight. I know you've been busy all day. We appreciate the time. Thanks, Bobby. You're welcome. Thanks, guys. Thanks. ESPN NBA front office insider Bobby Marks with us here Download the Overheard podcast for curiously delightful conversations overheard around National Geographic's headquarters. Mm -hmm. Presented by the City Advantage Platinum Select card, the card built for your next adventure. Coming up, some Olympic updates, some pretty cool sibling stories that we haven't touched on yet. It's next.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
2: Fregency is in, I just said fregency. I just made up a new word. Uh, apparently it was too long for me to say. Free agency, NBA free agency, uh, is in full swing, and uh, we didn't mention Bobby Portis re-signing with the Bucks. Uh, certainly talked about and used his media appearances post-championship to talk about how you know there might be too many good offers elsewhere that would pull him away, but he ends up back in Milwaukee. Fans of the Bucks and Bobby Portis obviously very excited about that one. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. ESPN video is presented by Progressive Insurance. Small business protection just got easier. With more than 30 coverage options available, Progressive has you covered. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. If any other big NBA news breaks, we'll let you know. Obviously, a couple names still floating around without destinations yet. But, um, Fitz, we talked to Abby Wambach earlier in the show, and I wanted your reaction on on the soccer stuff because um, I think the most heartbreaking for me is, of course, seeing someone... Um, like Rapino after the game, kind of in tears talking about what a bit, bitter pill it was to swallow to lose to a Canadian team that the, the U.S. hadn't lost to in 20 years, despite them being a big rival. And then also the way the team talked about not being able to have Carly Lloyd, who is just a legend, get sent off the way they would like with the gold. Um, obviously, can still play for bronze, and that's going to be a big deal. But this was a tough one.
1: Yeah. And it feels like the weight of the world has been on this team, right? I, one of the most difficult things, and, and Abby referenced it a little bit, is there's so much pressure on the women's national team, whether it's pressure for uh, living up to the greatness we expect or whether it's pressure for being advocates for the future of women's soccer. Like, there's just so much that goes into being on that team outside of just playing that it just never clicked this year. And I, I don't remember who said it afterwards on the broadcast, but one of the analysts said this team never looked like they were having fun. And I think that's, that's accurate. I mean, they, they look tight in, in so many times. And you talked – Uh, last week about how many offsides we'd seen and how many little details we're not used to seeing this team not hit and it just felt like everything was out of sync from the get-go and I think our presumption was okay they're so stinking good it'll eventually click and it just never looked right throughout this entire process which is heartbreaking for everybody involved because there's so much that comes with being on that particular squad.
2: And I think this Olympics, more so than any I can remember, has been a lesson in just how difficult it is to be as great as our good U.S. athletes often are. Right? We sort of take it for granted that, well, Simone Biles is going to show up and win everything she's in. U.S. soccer team is going to win everything there. And the men's basketball team is going to dominate everyone. And we're watching a lot of other countries catch up. And to, to Abby Wambach's point, you know, especially on the women's side, Title IX and the way our country provides the resources and opportunities and colleges and training programs uh, for female athletes, you know, ends up driving the, the same practices in other countries, ends up, you know, getting other countries to work harder to, to be able to compete. And so we we are seeing other other countries catch up in a lot of stuff. And so uh, we should be even more uh, impressed when American athletes continue to show up and be the best. And definitely a bit more forgiving and celebratory of silvers and bronzes when they get them because it's really not easy, even though for a long time they made it look so.
1: Yeah, and I think the the point that they made it look... Easy is significant here also we're going to have to make some decisions in what we invest in and you mm-hmm. know something we've talked a lot about is how much will universities continue to invest in uh, olympic sports or non-revenue generating sports and what kind of opportunities are they going to be for those sports because one thing i keep thinking about for all the trials and tribulations of this olympics when it comes to just watching our favorite teams dominate We are the host country in 2028. I can't imagine that this doesn't cause everybody around the Olympic Committee to step back from a U.S. side and say – Are we doing everything we need to do to provide the right resources to make sure that our teams are as dominant as possible? We don't want to be losing momentum into a 2028 Olympics that costs so much money, as we all know. So I I wonder how we're going to look at the infrastructure of what we provide for athletes over the course of the next several years to ensure that our programs are rising and not falling going into a year where we host.
2: Also, a big conversation to be had is professional opp- opportunities for women in our country. Mm. Um, you look at something like softball that our team took silver in, and the Japanese team that won has had a women's professional softball league since 1968. Mm. A continuously running women's professional softball league since 1968. You look across the landscape, a lot of female athletes go overseas to compete professionally because the resources, the salaries are there. Um, So looking at how we operate a lot of our sports professionally on the women's side here in the States will be a big part of the conversation, too. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. A couple fun things that we haven't had a chance to talk about on the show, and and in recent nights during primetime especially, we've gotten some highlights. Uh, Bears pass rusher Robert Quinn's sister, Jasmine Camacho Quinn, uh, finalist winner in the 100-meter hurdles, Very cool. She set an Olympic record in the semis and went on to win uh, representing Puerto Rico for their mother. Hmm. Um, You also had American Anna Cockrell, uh, who is the sister of Tampa Bay Buccaneers Super Bowl champ. Ross Cockrell who's a cornerback for them. And then in that same event, the women's 400 meters. Uh, 400-meter hurdles is uh, Melissa Gonzalez, who is the wife of Detroit Lions quarterback David Blaw. that we have watched that viral video go around of him in the Lions practice facility on the live screen watching a qualifying heat with his whole team just going insane, Uh, a video that I have watched no fewer than, like, six times. Um, It's been really cool to see some of these connections. Randall Cunningham's daughter in the the high jump um, and... Fitz, it, it It shouldn't be this way, but I do get inordinately excited when I see a whole bunch of professional male athletes just going crazy and losing it for, for female athletes, understanding that they know the work that goes into it, the the pressure, the excitement. It's really cool.
1: That's been one of the things, too, just watching the way uh, athletes are reacting to family it is such a teammate-oriented moment, too. Like, when you think mm-hmm. about the Lions Video that we've seen so much. Just watching everybody celebrate that moment as best they can, obviously, in the current culture, uh, has been really incredible. And it also sort of has been eye-opening. One thing I think the NBC broadcast, frankly, have done a nice job of is at least finding some ways to show families reacting because – that's one of the special things that we're particularly missing in this yeah. Olympics. And it's got to be difficult for the athletes involved, especially when we get to track and field. And, and I'm reminded of how empty and open that stadium feels. It just feels it's a bit of a gut punch to watch everybody knowing that they're running their hearts out and there's nobody there cheering them on.
2: I'm just uh, wondering how many, how many cameras they sent out to how many different Cities. Oh, God, yes. I mean, every time they – they, and here's yet another event with another athlete with another shot of their family. I'm like, man, they really and, – and, and I just feel for after doing television from home for months during the pandemic as someone who is very digitally literate and understands technology uh, and them showing me, here's how you set up your teleprompter and your camera and your lights and your whatever, just some random person's grandma in the middle of wherever <laughs> and some tech person is trying to – I don't know if they – flew out to all these places, or if they sent them the equipment and walked them through it. But God bless them for finding a way to get us to see some of those reactions.
1: Yeah, it's amazing that they've managed to teach families to do what most of us can't teach our own families to do, which is <laughs> yeah. how to just set up a basic FaceTime. Like, it's <laughs> it's alarming the good angles that they're able to get. But it's that's one of the things that I think we have to remember for all of this. And, and when we look at the results we've gotten in this Olympics, You know, you can look across the landscape of sports and understand the impact no fans have had for so many athletes that were in the bubble or so many athletes that were playing football with nobody in the stands last year. Like, I don't know that we'll ever really know the full ramifications of no fans in the stands for the Olympians that have been out there. And we'll never know how it could have impacted the outcome for so many of these sports that have given us unexpected outcomes.
2: Yeah. And, you know, there's going to be there's going to be a lot more, hopefully. Uh, American success on the track is where we have a lot of really, really talented athletes and could help us overtake China, which right now I think is leading us in the gold medal count. Uh, the Russian Olympic committee was limited in the number of the athletes that they could bring. So they'll start to back off a little in terms of the medal count. So, um, even though I just said we should appreciate the silvers and bronzes and just getting out there and doing your best, I want to win, Fitz. <laughs> we need to still be the best.
3: Yeah, I'm, and I'm I need with the people that.
2: in the track to uh, track and field events. By the way, speaking of, I should be on uh, ESPN Daily tomorrow. I believe is when they're running it as the multi-event start on track and field, talking about my illustrious history as a heptathlete. So Woo! tune in for that. Let's yeah. go. You can hear me break down my brilliant idea for a gun range featuring featuring javelin spears. Freddie and Fitzsimmons are next.
0: Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN radio and on the ESPN app.